Thinking around teams, how would a team liberate their collective Elvis to work as one massive Elvis, like maybe you know, end of career Elvis when he's put on a lot of weight? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't I mean, think that's the analogy we should be reaching for. But just, but just go the one big combined Elvis. Yeah, how do they liberate that vibe? You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Welcome to The Occupational Philosophers. We're a not-so-serious business podcast, mashing up the intersection of creativity, curiosity, and a little bit of philosophy, because... In our world, we think that it's great for life and also great for business. I'm joined every week by my co-host and co-collaborator, John Rice. John, hello, and what's caught your curious eye this week? Hey, Simon. Hello to you. Well, what's caught my curious eye is I was fortunate enough to have some holiday last week. We found ourselves in Oslo in Norway, which is a beautiful city, and I took time to go to an art gallery. I went to the new Edvard Munch Gallery, which is this stunning piece of architecture on the harbour side. And I went to see The Scream, the most, probably the most famous. I've been calling Munch, by the way, for the last 40 odd years, but it's Munch. So Edvard Munch. Yes, quite a wealth of work that he did, but went to see The Scream, which was great, took the children as well. But what was really fascinating is there were three of them. (laughs) And they were all in this enclosed space. in darkness. And what it was is that he had produced many versions of this, all on paper and card. So they were very fragile. And so they would keep them in darkness and only show each version for an hour before these shutters slammed shut and the next one opened and you could go and look at that one. So I thought it was fascinating that they had this set up. I expected to see one screen, but saw a multitude of screams. And it makes you realise again that thing of there isn't just this one masterpiece that's produced by these artists, but they have been playing with an idea time and again and create multiple versions and go on and on. And then finally, this one becomes the one that everybody goes, ah, that's a masterpiece. But you see all the versions that uh, led towards that final masterpiece. So that was fascinating for me. There you go. Very cool. And it's quite small, isn't it? People say when they see that picture in person it's not how big yeah is it? well that that's the other thing as well as yeah absolutely right you kind of sort of you're peering at it again oh it's uh, just bigger than a postcard or so. <laughs> <laughs> in a minute i didn't expect a stamp no it, it's a bit it is smaller yeah you expect it to be some vast sort of piece of work but yeah it's quite modest really but yeah absolutely fascinating what about you simon well john i went out to see an artist, as in a music artist, uh, called Thundercat on Sunday night for the Vivid Festival in Sydney. And he's like collaborated with like everyone, but huge in his own right as well. A couple of things interesting. I went at the start of the festival, I thought, who's someone I just want to, I looks interesting. And so I thought, okay, Thundercat looks cool. And I didn't do any more research into him. So I got there and I had no idea of what he would play. So that was an interesting thing. But he also came up with something like a thunk. So where there's maybe not one correct answer. And he was talking about, he's got a a song about his cat. And he said something on the lines of, he said, my cat sprayed uh, urine up on my kitchen bench. So I went and did a crap in his litter box. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and in my head <laughs> this is on stage probably 2,000 people at the Sydney Opera House <laughs> he said is that okay 
how did the how did the Thundercat thunk go down with the audience? Very well. <laughs> did it, there, you go. there you go. That's the the quality of the quality of fan there for Thundercat. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Google Google Thundercat. He's collaborated with Kendrick Lamar, um, Tame Impala, Gorillas, everyone. So you would know lots of his songs, but they're very very funny guy and i thought ah see they they exist in all parts of the world now speaking of cats john we have a (laughs) guest episode so who is the curious cat we have on the show this week uh well it's a real pleasure simon to introduce our guest today this person is someone who has a real passion to help people work out who they are what they stand for how they can use their unique talents to bring energy to everything they do, be that as individuals or as members of teams or as leaders of organisations. This person spent 10 years at What If, which is the world's largest innovation consultancy, before founding his own company, Upping Your Elvis. And that looks to embed a more human, energetic and creative working culture in businesses across the globe. And that makes work easier, more fun, more extraordinary in the process. He's very much in demand as a keynote speaker, and he's a published author of several books, including How to Have Kick-Ass Ideas, Shine, How to Survive and Thrive at Work, Free, Love Your Work, Love Your Life, Wake Up, Escaping a Life on Autopilot, and Upping Your Elvis. His latest venture is Talk It Out, which is a social enterprise determined to make a positive impact on people's mental well-being around the world. And when he's not helping us all switch off autopilot to start tapping into our most creative, energetic and wonderful selves, he uh, admits to playing guitar erratically but enthusiastically and writing avidly and happily, contributing to uh, monthly columns in British Airways, Business Life magazine and other publications such as Fast Company. Please welcome our guest, Chris Perez-Brown. Chris, welcome. Woo! Welcome. Great to be with you. How are you both doing today? <laughs> yeah, very good. Very well. No complaints. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Still recovering from the Thundercat thunk, actually, slightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one way to create an impact. I like that. <laughs> I loved it. So, uh, speaking of what's caught John and I, what's caught our eye this week, what's caught your eye this week? Well, a couple of things, actually. One, you've just jogged my memory on, because I was hearing an interview uh, from Jack White, a musician, so the Thundercat link is, is present. And, um, and what I loved is he was saying that when he was uh, he's performing, if it's going too well, if it's perfectly slick and everything's totally in sync, he detunes his guitar. <laughs> I, I really like that, really. Because for me, live music should feel live, right? And I love the idea that actually... You know, when we're doing something creative, there needs to be a bit of imperfection for it to have that energy and that connection. So the Thundercat thing made me think of that. But the other thing that got me this week was this. I was reading a, a little piece, and there was a quote in there by Rowan Atkinson, you know, the guy who was Mr. Bean and a you know, famous comedian, who basically said, you know, what we should be doing is we should be making our cars live longer, which I really like. So so actually, we've, we've got this mentality of basically getting a new car every three years, and it's killing the planet, obviously. You know, it's, it's a waste of resources. Cars can last 30 years. And actually, the issue with this is that most of our lease deals are short-term, and most of the government incentives for new cars are for new cars, not for old cars. So we've got into this ridiculous structure, which is actually ruining the climate, you know, ruining the planet's resources. And it just made me think, how many other things have we got silly structures behind that's actually creating silly behaviours 
that actually if we just got behind them, we could change the way we consume. Anyway, so thank you, Rowan Atkinson, for that insight. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great insight. That's uh, one of the things where you just, it doesn't, it wouldn't be something that gets questioned that readily, would it? Why we have a three-year lease model. You just... No, exactly. Exactly. Cars can last a lot longer than that. And obviously, with a bit of due care and attention, we've been in a very different place. Chris, where are you in the world today? Uh, There's people listening from different places. Yeah, I'm in beautiful Lyme Regis, so on the Devon Dorset uh, borders down on the south coast of England. That's lovely. The Jurassic Coast, is that right? Jurassic Coast. That's exactly it. Yeah, I moved to about 12 years ago. We we bought a, a place down here so we could run leadership retreats. And, I, you know, that's that was the kind of the logical reason for buying a place by the sea. Obviously, I had an ulterior motive. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. So I'm very, very pleased to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We also had a previous guest who bought a yacht as a business expense. Who was that? Oh, so- uh, yeah. Funny <laughs> enough, I do have a boat on the business too. So I understand that strategy. Yeah. We understand how the system works. So nod, nod. <laughs> Now, if you've probably been to a dinner party and you sit down, it can feel a little bit stilted and people go, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. I'm a, you know, work at a bank or whatever. Not those are bad, you know, occupations, but it can feel a little bit stilted. So John and I thought, you know, mix up this sort of dinner party vibe. So imagine we're at a dinner party together. We've got some lovely French wine has uh, come over from uh, Bordeaux and uh, we're sort of cracking it. The sort of the good vibes are flowing. There's some someone serving some delicious food and, you know, we're going to dive in a few sort of dinner party questions. So, first yeah. question, Chris, great to meet you, by the way. What's giving you joy at the moment? Uh, well, look, this time of year, it's just extraordinary to be out in nature. So, you know, I'm very lucky to be in a beautiful part of the world. I've just been for a swim in a pond with dragonflies around my head, swallows coming to drink, the veggies are growing. I mean, it's just popping right now. So, I am getting so much joy from everything outside. <laughs> and uh, is there a hobby you're losing yourself in at the moment, Chris? Oh, so well, yeah. So, so music's a big thing for me. So, I do play a bit. I've I've written a few songs, uh, and I was I was recently challenged. So, I I got a friend of mine who produces, and um, my, my my daughter was making music and, and being very successful. So, I decided I'd try it myself, right, and understand the process. And I went to him. I said, I've written a song, and he said, he said, I'll produce it, no problem at all. But when we've done five, we're doing a gig, and I'm going. Don't worry, we're never doing five. Anyway, I just did my fifth. Hey. So we. we <laughs> We went and did an open mic, which was fantastic and petrifying at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I can talk in front of thousands of people speaking, but a little pub with my own songs performing, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was certainly quite an experience. So mu- music's my big thing at the moment. And, um, and actually, we, just, we, did, we did these energy experiments with Uppinger Elvis where we, we get an expert in to teach us something and we try it for a month and we see if it helps us get our energy better. And we just had the wonderful James Sills, who is a singing coach, work with us for four weeks. And I tell you, if ever you can't shake off your day, we, you know, we do the classic stuff of going to the gym and all that stuff. But actually going to sing is my favorite way of doing it now. So I've got a little studio, I've got mics set up, and I go and blast out a few tunes and everything disappears and I feel fantastic. So I, I love the music. Will you record that when you go into your studio and you blast some tunes out will you record it or you just sort of go in the, the studio uh, for not no that's purely just to let it out okay um but you know i've I got five songs songs on spotify simon so if you want to check them right. out they're there okay um, but i'm um, yeah i'm just trying to work out a new process for singing so so basically i do play guitar but i'm rubbish at guitar and um and if you start playing writing a song 
with something you're not so particularly good at. You're not that flexible. So I'm trying to learn how to write songs with voice instead. So that's my new challenge. Just a couple of questions, Chris. When you did the gig, did you crowd surf? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I think they had enough beers to make that work in that particular <laughs> pub. So I'll try that next time, yeah. Uh, and is there a band name that we should look for for Spotify or is it your own uh, name? It's just, just me, you. It's just okay. Me, yeah. So it's, it's not like you've fun. not like got Thunderdog or something like that. Or Rain, <laughs> Rainbow you know Unicorn. <laughs> Do you know what? If I could have the chat that he had in the opera house, then I'd be very happy. <laughs> I'll see if I I'll see if I can connect get my people to talk to his people, and we'll see what we can do. So now you'll be on tour who, this time next year. <laughs> who or what inspires you now? So I mean, it might it might sound slightly cliche, but you know, I just find people fascinating. There are so many people I bump into through my work, but just through life who have a different perspective and a different way of seeing things that I just find fascinating. And you can never be bored. So you're, you're all about curiosity. I am super curious about people because everybody has a little gift for you. Everyone has something that you can learn from. And if you just slow down enough to connect and get that curiosity going, every day is amazing. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I get to meet lots of people. I've got some fantastic family and friends. And they really are my inspiration because whenever you think it's getting a bit same, you're a bit dull, meet someone else, get underneath their skin, and it opens up another whole world of opportunity, I think. Yeah. I like the idea that, as you said that, Chris, slow down and connect. It's quite a, that's, yeah. that's it, isn't it? You need to slow down if you're going to get curious about someone or something. And that's often something that gets lost in the busyness of things. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, um, one of the ones I always like asking is, is there a question you're wrestling with right now? Because often I'll speak to people and they've got something that's turning over and over in their head. So is there a question you're wrestling with right now? Well, I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got quite a big one. So you mentioned that, um, that I'm the founder of uh, Talk It Out, which is my big passion. So, you know, we've got, a, we've got a huge issue on this planet with mental health. There's over a billion people right now with a mental or emotional health challenge. And the travesty is, which I find terrible, is two thirds will not talk to another human being about it. You know, they'll do it on their own, which I just think is not right. So what I'm trying to do with Talk It Out is give people a way to look after their minds, a little bit like going to the gym and eating well looks after their bodies. We've got amazing results. We're now an improved, approved, sorry, um, NHS innovation. We know that it works for people. My challenge, which is, which is a cracking one, is I've got this wonderful product that definitely works. It's got great efficacy. How do I get that to the people that need it without having big pockets? This is all self-funded. I'm not, I'm not getting lots of VCs to come and help me. How do I get it to the people that really will benefit from it by not advertising, by not chucking loads of cash at it, by doing something more meaningful and interesting around community? That's my big challenge. And it's a very real challenge because actually I don't have loads of resource and yet I do have something that would help people. That's been established now sort of three or four years now, is it? And this is... Yeah, the, the app's been out almost two years. Okay. I did have a charity where we were doing a more analog version. It's a walking, talking approach that helps you basically understand what's going on in your subconscious so that you can understand why you feel the way you feel and give yourself more choice. It's very straightforward. But the app's been out almost two years. We've just built an AI prototype, which is amazing. The British government have given us the grant for it. And it's freaking everyone out because you're literally just talking to the app. And then afterwards, it just says, you should pay attention to these things. And people are just freaking out because they're going, how does it know me so well? I, I, <laughs> <That's extraordinary. laughs> I, did, I did wonder about that. I mean, I was reading about it, Chris. I just thought, yeah. I wonder how the advances in chat GPT and the like and AI might sort of be quite 
fundamentally important to something like this because you could just as you say talk it out to a bot couldn't you you can't you can't and, and it's extraordinary it's almost like having a therapist in your pocket and obviously there's so much stigma attached to mental health if you can just talk into your phone you know you're not going to be judged you know it's just going to stay there but your phone can actually give you meaningful insights as to what you've said you know what judgments you've got what attachments what gives you energy what takes it away and you, and you can do this at any point you don't need to schedule a session mm. Then obviously this is going to be a game changer for so many people. So yeah, it's, I'm very excited about the possibility. We, we've only had that for two weeks, and I've had people bursting into tears, literally just going, "How oh, does it know me so well? This is amazing!" You know, so we're definitely onto something. Yeah, we used to watch a show called uh, "Grandpa in Your Pocket," which was filmed uh, up at uh, <laughs> up on the Suffolk coast. So uh, this is sort of like a, a more modern day version. Ther- I like therapist it now. in your pocket. Is that a new children's show? I like it. <laughs> Catch yeah. on. <laughs> now, just just to wrap out our dinner party, I've really been enjoying it. The wine is flowing. I, I like this vintage, John. <laughs> Chris, what would you describe what you do and or what are your intersections? Ooh, not quite sure I understand the second bit of it, but what I, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you how I was described recently, which I loved. So The Guardian described me as a long-haired, twinkly-eyed cross between Richard Branson and a wizard, <laughs> which I quite like. Um, <laughs> I'm especially pleased about the wizard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had a wizard on last week, as it happened. So yeah, <laughs> oh no, there's a pattern starting to form here, Simon. <laughs> Look at who we're attracting. What is that? I've always wanted a cloak and a staff. I think it was a good look if you can carry. Well, it. as you described yourself swimming in a pond with dragonflies buzzing around your head, it does sound like you live in Middle Earth. So maybe yeah. you're halfway there. So yeah. Now the intersections bit. What are your crossovers? If there are three or four things that you're you sit in the middle of those three or four, what would they be? Yeah. So basically, what, you know, I'm all about energy. So you know, my belief is when you get your energy right, life is easy and fun. And when you don't, it's the opposite. So I help organisations get their energy right, and that's my passion. And and it's all the things I think that people get good at delivering. They get good at delivering them because there's something in there for them. And I found it fascinating. My energetic journey in my life has been a really interesting challenge, uh, you know, education. And I've got so much from it. Helping other people learn is is, is hugely rewarding. So I'm all about energy. Now, obviously, energy can show up in lots of different ways. I actually really got into it because creativity was my thing. You know, I, I spent a long time teaching people how to have ideas. And what I realized was that actually their energetic input was way more important than any tool or technique. Mm. And if I got their energy right, they'd have better ideas. So so creativity and innovation are a big part of who I am. Leadership's a big part because obviously we need better leaders on this planet. We've got big challenges. Without them stepping up and doing extraordinary things, we're going to have some big, big problems into the future. So do a lot around leadership, a lot around culture. And now obviously a lot about, about well-being and mental health. So those, I guess, would be the intersections. But amongst all of this, you know, the most important thing is that we're having fun while we're doing it. Life is very short and it's an extraordinary thing. And if we're not loving it, it's a terrible way. So through all of that stuff, what I want people to do is just remember how lucky they are and love as much as they possibly can of this journey. If we're doing that, we're doing okay. Now, the Occupational Philosophers was born of the desire to explore the interplay between philosophy, curiosity, and creativity as well. And look, I'd say you'd sit across all of them. So as a philosopher provocateur, we'd like to dive in a little bit deeper. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is one of your earliest books, 
which I have here, how to have <laughs> kick-ass ideas, and it's highlighted the hell out of it, as you can see. So now yeah. a little bit of background. This book spoke to me like no other book ever has at the early stage of my how do I get this creative ideas in my head out into the world. Now, the, the background is I'm going to talk about myself for a couple of minutes. I come from an arts background. So when you do a fine arts degree and design degree, you make stuff. You create stuff. You're never sure how it's mm -hmm. going to turn out. By doing that, though, you exercise the muscles of your brain. Okay, so you're not looking at theories of creativity. You're just like, well, get off your ass and make something. Stop, you know, strumming your kumbaya ukulele. Come on, you've got projects to get out. So by that, that's how you learn about creativity. I remember the first one of the company I used to work with at John at uh, with John and I used to work at a company together. My boss said, "Can you teach creativity?" I'm like. Huh? Like, <laughs> I had no idea. So I called a, a mate from my art class and he said, oh, there's this thing called six hats and, and everything seemed so, and not knocking that, but everything seemed so scientific, so framework, follow my five steps to success. Anyway, I found your book and I thought, oh, my God, there, <laughs> there is a way forward. And you speak around energy, you spoke around the universe speaking to you, creative mojo, but most importantly, just, you know, doing stuff and having a go. So it's guess I want to dive into that. How do we how do we sort of just take action when we might even not be sure where to start? And maybe we've been schooled in the science of thinking techniques. Yeah, it's a good question. It, it just reminded me of my I was um I was once speaking at a conference in Peran in Slovenia, a creativity conference, and in the front row was Edward de Bono, ha, yeah. the daddy of creativity. <laughs> yeah. Did he have, uh, did he have six hats on, pissing out. off everyone behind him? He, pretty much, he, he had each one. And actually, he was, he was a very generous man. Nail polish. After, yeah, nail polish. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, what do you think of the gig? And he was like, it was very good. It was very good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's probably not the style I deliver it in, but, you know, it was very good. So, you know, he's very generous. But look, there's obviously so many different ways into creativity. I think your question of if you don't know where to start, what do you do? I still keep going back to just do it. Just try something and learn from it. Actually, I, the producer that uh, I was talking about for who helps me with music, I modeled how he writes songs, and he writes songs professionally. And basically his, his whole ethos is just start with something. It's unlikely it will be in the end song, but it's something that you hang off. And you need to have something to hang off, right? So I, in my, my belief has always been, you know, movement is positive. As long as there's some happening, you are creating some energy and there is something you can learn on and adapt from. Now, obviously, the more clarity you get about what where you're going, the easier it becomes. But sometimes we just don't have it until we've played a bit, mm. you know. And I think the key to that, therefore, is make sure it's played. Don't, don't make it a big deal. Don't think it has to be perfect. Get messy and you will naturally learn as you go. And the more, the more that I've done this work, the more I realize that just everything we do is an experiment. There's no such thing as perfection. There's no such thing as right and wrong. You just got to try stuff out and see if it gives you energy. And if it does, do more of it. If it doesn't, move on. Yeah. And that's, I guess, one of the primary ethos of, of my creative approach. Well, it that thing about experimentation, Chris? I mean, as I say, the thinking about the, the scream thing, just the, that thing of there was just iteration after iteration after iteration. And then finally, there was a moment where they come to a, a, a piece that was the, the masterpiece or whatever. But what yeah. stops people experimenting as readily as they maybe might do? Is it they think that if they switch and start to do something, oh, that's going to be the way they're going to have to then carry on? And they don't think about it in that way. They don't think about it as experiments. They think about it as change rather than experimentation. I don't know if I've quite got that right, but they get hung up on it. 
there's a bit of that. And I mean, so, you know, this is what I spend most of my time doing. So I do a lot of work with large organizations to help them get their cultures right. And uh, in fact, I've just done the GSK consumer health culture work. They've just split from the pharma company to become Halion. And the way that we've got them to em- embrace new behaviors is by getting them to embrace new behavioral experiments. So on a Monday, we get them all to try one new thing. Yeah. They play with it all week. And then in their teams on a Friday, they come together and say, hey, what worked? What added value this week from that behavior? And because they contextualize it in their team and because they're applying it to live work, the change gets embedded incredibly quickly. So this is the way I do big culture change. But to get them there, I do have to get them to embrace experiments. Yeah. And it's really interesting because you, your question is, is, is super valid to what I'm doing on a daily basis because experiments basically have risk. It's implicit. And actually, businesses don't like risk. Businesses are not designed for it. What, what they like to do is they like to be incredibly efficient. They like to knock it out of the park every time and create loads of value. Yeah. And they don't like to rework things. That's just not in their nature. So what you have to do is you have to get them to understand the value of small everyday experiments. For example, you know, you know how many times did people turn up to a meeting? It's exactly the same as the last one. You know, <laughs> I find it amazing. You know, people have team meetings on a Monday morning, same time, same people, same duration, same agenda, same seats, and people are wondering why it feels like you know they're in Groundhog Day. <laughs> they, they don't change anything up, and then obviously, you know, over time the energy becomes quite depressive because it just feels so samey. Mm. Just by shifting a few things up, not, it doesn't have to be big, shifting a few things up, not only do we get better energy and we learn from it, but actually we escape autopilot and we become more conscious of what's going on around us. So for me, you know, experimentation should be the lifeblood of every organization, but we have to overcome some inbuilt negativity bias that we've got in our brain about avoiding risk. Is it, and um, just as you say that, Chris, I was wondering, does nudge ever come into play in some of the work that you do? Do you look at that idea of shaping the environment to help people change the default patterns they might be falling into? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's a bit like the Rowan Atkinson thing, isn't it? There are structures in place that that mean that our behaviours end up being stupid in this particular case. We're, we're just consuming cars every three years. It's the same in every organisation. There are lots of things that are in place structurally which have an impact on the way that people behave. And sometimes those are environmental. A lot of them are to do with you know things like rewards and recognition. The fact that people have annual appraisals is I, I'm still gobsmacked by it. I mean, it, the fact that that is still happening is so archaic, and yet it dictates so much of our behaviour. You know, so shifting up those structures to support the behaviours that you want people to have is key if you want to get it embedded. Yeah, and on that thing of risk, the way I always frame it is that micro experiments they reduce your risk because you work out early Ooh. and often is this working? You don't go, we've got an idea, let's launch shit didn't work yeah. six months later just pretend it never happened like literally <laughs> little micro experiments and all. What, what have you lost if you experiment something for a week nothing because you've either worked out this works or we found a way that a better way to move forward so me it's actually it's de-risking which is a, another mindset you need to get your head around as well so yeah i look, i certainly agree one of the biggest challenges is that i think in business everyone's just so flat out busy and they, they don't take the time, and this is that thing that we mentioned earlier, take the time to connect with people. Take the time to connect with what experiments you can do today that are meaningful. It's harder work to do that than just be busy. I, I saw a quote by David Hyatt, who I think found it from somebody else, but it's a lovely quote, which is, busy is easy. And it is, you don't have to think, you just go from one thing to the next, everything feels really exciting, you get a massive dopamine hit all day long, 
And most of my clients love that stuff because it, it feels as if they, they've got meaningful life and they're creating impact. But it's, it's the opposite. You know, what they're doing is they're doing all the wrong stuff. To be able to experiment, you have to escape that treadmill. You have to step off it and properly connect with what's around you and say, actually, how do I do something useful today that's going to move things forward? And actually, by doing so, those micro experiments, as you say, Simon, it does de-risk things, but you've got to be deliberate about yeah. it. And people don't like making the effort. <laughs> that's the problem. They much prefer to be swept along on this wave of busyness. And, and admittedly, at the end of the week, they go, you know, I've got no idea what I did, but it felt good. You know, but that's the drug. That's what we're fighting. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that was as you were saying. Just as you said that, I was thinking. I saw the quote that you made, Chris, around business as a drug, and and yeah. so you go, okay, so we're hooked on it. It's an addiction, difficult to break, and there's got to be a benefit that's seen with the alternative that we might offer. <laughs> I guess. Mind you, I was also yeah. thinking if business is the drug, uh, Train Spotting would have been a very different film. <laughs> I don't know how many people were going to see it, to be honest. Just like a, a corporate version of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crawl, crawling out of the toilet because he's chased his, spread, yeah, yeah, his yeah. spreadsheet, yeah. <laughs> Chris, that seems to be a bit of a segue into then that work that you were doing with What If earlier on in, in your sort of life, which was around the innovation. I, I took a look at that. There were some core values that, what if can I subscribe to impact yeah. and audacity, passion, love, and adventure? Is that what you were trying to get organizations to embrace in many regards, the, the very values that what if had? Was it trying to embed those? And if so, what was the biggest challenge for organizations in trying to embrace love, adventure, impact, etc.? Can you have any recollections of that? Yes. Yeah, so look, I, I think your internal values should be represented externally. So there's no point in having something different. So obviously, they've got to be congruent. So all the work that we did within What If, the, the inside culture had to be the same as the outsides, for sure. By the way, audacity wasn't there when I was there. I think this is um, something that since Accenture took them over. Oh, okay. I, I, I would never have that. <laughs> oh, the audacity of it. <laughs> Why have they put I that mean, up there? You know, I mean, you know, would you have a friend that was termed audacious? I don't think so. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be one I'd choose. But actually, I, I'll tell you what, there was, there's one there that I fought for very hard, which is love. And actually, there were some very senior people in What If who didn't want that on there. But it, it, I got it in, and it stuck, which I'm delighted about. <laughs> but it, 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 values are quite interesting things, aren't they? They're not who you want to be. They're, they're, they've got to be who you are. There's no point just putting a dream sheet up. So it has to be a part of what you behave like on a daily basis that creates energy and value otherwise there's no point in having them and actually they really did fit but what we did do is we were very deliberate about making sure we celebrated them in a visceral way so i i remember one thing that we did and actually loads of our clients then adopted we had walls where we basically had a sign writer who came in and every month we paid the sign writer up front for a year so it was a structure where it happened so this is a bit of a nudge type strategy and basically you can nominate anyone for a values award. You just get a post-it note. You write their name on it, stick it on a wall. There'd, there'd be a, a wall for love, for example. If they did something loving, you just put them on there. And then if they won the award, the sign writer would put their name up permanently. So the walls became a, a, a storyboard of how the values were created. And it's just, it's really important that, you know, values are things that are celebrated and they are articulated and they are conscious rather than just something that's an undercurrent. Yeah. So we worked very, very hard at those and we didn't leave them to chance. And, Loads of our clients then adopted the same thing. And actually, at the end of any project, it was really important. We went, right, how do we do on our values? Let's not talk about what we delivered. 
yes, we, we, we've got that, but were we on values or weren't we? Because if you're not talking about it, it's, it's a bit of a waste. Yeah. So they were big. They were very big. And actually, they drove incredible value. So it, it, really important stuff to do. I like the um, idea the values are who you are, not who you want to be. I think there'd be a nice activity. If you were to measure your values now, what are the five things you do the most? What are they? So it might be, oh, we're boring. We hate each other. We, <laughs> we don't finish projects on time. We whinge. But we do value for next year innovation, communication, teamwork. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering as well about that celebrating, recognizing the values in action. Aside to it, it could go too far. You know, Kevin from Accounts is uh, getting recognized for the love value this, this week. And uh, he's now on an HR disciplinary. <laughs> yeah, you that. But yeah, you know what? I, I, I work with, with, you know, probably 50 clients a year. And at some point, they'll take me through their decks. You know, this is our mission and vision, blah, blah, blah. And these are our values. And I, if I was just to look at most companies' values, they are literally interchangeable across companies. There is nothing specific to who they are. There's nothing that's genuine and unique and authentic. And it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's as if people just pick the same 10 words each time and just drop them out. And they, there has to be an energy and articulation that is very relevant to who you are in that moment, in that context. Otherwise, it's a bit of a waste. So I see it constantly. Now, your current gig, if that's the right way to uh, say it, and your current uh, great child, a great child, uh, your current love child, upping your Elvis, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful, joyous name, you know, has the idea of energetic and human cultures at the center of it. So tell us a little bit more about that. What does it start from and how does a culture unleash some of those things which are so essential for a business, which is what we're talking about as well, which is curiosity, creativity, and play? Yeah, so, um, well, the name was inspired by Bono. So when he was doing his Drop the Debt campaign, he used to go into organizations and ask what I think is a fantastic question still to today. He used to ask, so who's Elvis around here? And you know, when you ask that question, anyone can answer it because what you're really asking is, who's a bit of a brand, a bit of a maverick, they get stuff done, they break the rules, they've got loads of energy, and they love who they are and what they do. And I fundamentally believe that business needs more Elvis now than ever. Yeah. I also know we all have more Elvis to bring. So that's why it's upping your Elvis. And, you know, we've been doing it for what, almost 14 years. And because it's all about energy, but basically so much of our energy comes down to the fact that we're just not designed for business. You know, we're, we're actually designed to be hunter-gatherers on the savannah. We did it for 2 million years until 12,000 years ago. It was all of our experience. Business is quite a recent construct. And what most of my clients make the mistake of doing is trying to fit in with what business needs. And business needs everything all the time. And if you try and keep up, your energy will be depleted. You'll, you'll be a husk of a person and everyone loses, right? But if you reverse it, if you get business to fit in with what we need, everyone wins because you'll have better energy, you'll create better impact, they're successful all. So that's, it's a changing psychology. But to do that, you need to understand what our design is so that you can learn how to hack it. Now, some of our design is universal because we're all hunter-gatherers. Some of it depends on who you are, your, your beliefs, your needs, your, your life experience. So it starts with personal awareness. You know, when you understand yourself better, then you can start to make sure that your, your day and your work flows with your energetic setup. And then everything becomes a lot more fun, quite frankly. We do step off that treadmill. We do become more deliberate. We get better focus. We collaborate better. We have a lot more enjoyment in the work that we do. And actually, when we go home at the end of the day, we go, that was a meaningful day. And if I can deliver that, I'm a very happy bunny because there are so many people that never get to experience it. 
Chris, I just want to talk to the, your most recent project, Talk It Out, which you describe as is about helping people with their mental health and well-being, reducing anxiety, getting clarity. Tell us more about that and maybe what's the feedback so far as to the experience people are having and what are your hopes for this as a social enterprise? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we've got a massive problem on the planet. There is no way that we'll ever be able to keep up with the demands of mental health challenges with the systems we've got. There's just not enough therapists on the planet and there never will be. So we need to be able to learn to look after ourselves better. And that's what Talk It Out does. It's not a solution for everyone. About 8% of people don't like talking out loud into a machine, but I'll take the 92%. We've tested it with lots of organizations. We know that just by using it for 10 minutes a day for two weeks, anxiety drops 37%. But really importantly, on the Warwick and Edinburgh scale, we've had massive shifts. So I've just, I've just done a, a test with, with Roche. And what we've done there is we've got people to basically use it just to, to help them decompress on a Friday afternoon. So if you go back to the, the insight of we're all hunter-gatherers by design, if you were attacked as a hunter-gatherer by a lion, you'd have a stress response, cortisol, adrenaline, so you can survive. It's all a fantastic thing. You live another day, but obviously that doesn't happen on a daily basis. That, that probably won't happen again for hopefully another year of your life at least. And therefore you have a lot of time relaxing so that stress response goes down. Today, we don't have that. We are constantly being, being stimulated by news feeds, by things that are new and different, by COVID, by politics, by climate change. And therefore most of us are experiencing stress response on a daily basis 24 seven. Now that is having a huge, huge issue when it comes to our mental well-being. Now, a lot of that is, is stimulated by the fact we have an inbuilt negativity bias. So when we see something new and different, we literally think it's going to eat us. It's a lion. Ah! <laughs> now, w- one simple thing we can do to, to help get the balance back is to actually de-stress at the weekend. We have a weekend for a deliberate design. That is a time that we can look after ourselves. The problem is people aren't switching off over weekends. We're constantly connected to our phones. We're always thinking about our work. So what we did with Roche was we just got people to use Talk It Out for 10 minutes on a Friday afternoon. And you basically, you walk and talk into your app and you download your week. You go, right, what happened this week? What did I learn? What do I need to do before I can have a weekend? What can I put into my diary for Monday morning so that you literally clear your head? And then you can skip into your weekend de-stressed, not worry about things, knowing full well everything important is in your diary for Monday. So you can properly hang out with your loved ones and do the stuff you should be doing. We got them to do it for 10 minutes a week for four weeks, and the results were stunning. 34% increase in learning, obviously, because they're reviewing and learning their week. 32% increased focus on a Monday morning because it was all in their diary. Their, their weekend's quality went up 28%. But really importantly, and this is the thing I'm most proud of, and this is why I want to get it to everyone on the planet who needs it, 48% of them at the start of this were deemed on the Warwick and Edinburgh wellbeing scale as low wellbeing, 48%. After 10 minutes per week for four weeks, 48% dropped to three. Right? Now, that, that is the most stunning well-being response I've seen to any mm. approach. So, you know, my ambition is to get that to everyone who needs it so that they can look after themselves better, so that we can alleviate the pressure on the health system so that people that need the real help can, can get it. Because mm. at the moment, we're clogging it up with people who could look after themselves better and actually have fantastic well-being if they just know the approaches. And this is an approach that can help. And what's what's really unusual about this approach is this. So most of us are craving what we would call soothing. So we have a stress response. We get cortisol adrenaline in our system. We're constantly doing it. So we will do anything to get rid of that emotional feeling. And anything could involve, obviously, the classics of drugs and alcohol. 
But equally, Doritos in a box set, a bit of Netflix. Triathletes, that's another way of actually getting rid of that feeling. And actually, most well-being apps are also soothing apps. You know, meditation, it's a soothing thing. It decreases the cortisol adrenaline. The problem is that when you stop, it comes back. Because what you're not dealing with is what's actually going on in your head. What Talk It Out does very uniquely is it helps you process it. So when you stop, actually, you're in a different energetic space. You have dealt with the, the cause of the stress. So it, it takes you deeper, basically. So that's why I'm so excited about getting it out to as many people because it is, a, it is properly therapeutic. And actually, a lot of people call it self-therapy. Yeah. So where would one access Talk It Out? Is it, uh, where does it exist? Where would we find it? It's all out there. It's on Android and iOS, so you can you can download it. It's, it's if you want to look on the website, it's talkitout.app. It is available now, and there's a free version. So you know, if people would like to subscribe, thank you because free apps are really expensive. Is what I found out when you're self-funding. <laughs> yeah. um, we're gonna have to crack that model soon. Interesting that you say that. Often when people are talking something out to someone, you're right. They don't necessarily process it. What's going on for them? They're kind of just updating the other person you know if you're struggling and people say how are you you go well i'm like this and this has been going on and then the next person comes along and says how are you and you go i just told that person and now i'm telling this person but it's not helping me <laughs> i'm not i'm not no, processing no, it. I mean, no we i mean we're talking sound bites don't we and actually in western society if somebody says how are you there's only one allowable <laughs> response really which is fine and we're never fine and actually you know if you speak at that level you have very I guess, shallow transactions, but importantly, you're not processing. So what, what Talk It Out does is it, it just marries up some ancient wisdom. You know, it, people have processed while walking for thousands of years because we process kinesthetically. While we walk, we access our subconscious more quickly. So it's really important that we're doing that. Stanford have done some research on this. Your creativity spikes by up to 66, 0% when you're walking at your natural gait. So it's really important you walk. But obviously, whilst you're talking, if you talk in the stream of consciousness, you go through that conscious story, you know, the I'm fine story that we've all got on every topic in our life. And we actually get into our subconscious and we just say whatever comes into our head. And it's a bit like panning for gold. You'll say 99 things that are useless. But every now and again, you'll say something, something will pop into your head. And you, we've all done this when we've walked and talked with a friend. You'll suddenly say something, you go, where did that come from? And that's because your subconscious has basically gone, hey, pay attention. There is something interesting over here and you'll feel it. And those are the things that you capture down in the app. And, and obviously, at the moment, when those happen, you press a button. Whatever you say next gets captured in text, so you don't have to listen back to your recording. On the new version, the AI version, it'll capture it for you, which is amazing. So it just gets off and up. But the important thing is you get it out of your head where you can look at it in the cold light of day, and that changes your whole relationship with it. Because the challenge is, obviously, what you think is what you feel, but 95% of your processing is subconscious. So most people have no idea why they feel the way they do, whether they're having a good day versus a bad. When you do talk it out, you know. You understand what's going on in your head so you can then do something about it. Chris, we like to do thought experiments in the, in the vein that philosophers used to do in times gone by where they would ask themselves questions that to explore and expand their thinking and their mind. So we have a thought experiment for you, otherwise known as a quiz. This uh, thought experiment or quiz is called Knowing your Elvis. Mm. So it's a rapid fire quiz. And uh, we're just going to ask you some questions to see how well you know Elvis. <laughs> so so let's start. Like hey, where was Elvis born? Memphis, Tennessee, no, so Tupelo, Mississippi or New York? 
I'll go for, for Mississippi. It was correct. Well, one point. Well done. He knows his Elvis well. Who was Elvis's manager? Brian Epstein, Colonel Parker, or Colonel Sanders? <laughs> nice. Ah, oh, but Colonel Parker it is. I mean, so you've been very kind to me on this one. Well, I guess as well. What, Let's wait what and was see. It? <laughs> what was the name of Elvis's chimpanzee? Was it Bonzo, Clyde, or Scatter? Oh, I think it's Clyde. Oh, uh-uh. That's the first uh-uh. one. Uh-uh. It's Scatter. Scatter. Oh, there we go. I'm learning stuff. Now, we, uh, there were, what was the original lyrics for this song? A little less conversation, a little more. A little more. <laughs> That's how it, it sounds to me. <laughs> Well, it was actually a little less an convers- answer. a little less conversation, a little more Black Forest Gatto. But he was Oh, that uh, yeah. was what it was. Okay, perfect. <laughs> but perfect. he was uh spoke he was talked out of this by uh one of his musical collaborators at the time and it became a little more action. So there you go. Yes, yeah, so I think Black Forest Gatto just scans much better. <laughs> yeah. Well we thought as well, but uh yeah, we we dive deep on that one. So, John. Chris, you may have heard that uh, Elvis quite liked his snacks. His, one of his favourite snacks was called Fool's Gold Loaf. Any ideas? I'll give you a point for any of the three ingredients you can guess that was in the Fool's Gold Loaf. Fool's Gold Loaf. Well, four, well, if you think... co- four if you count the loaf. I, well, peanut butter. Yeah. Oh, one point. Yeah. And uh, I think there's – is there chocolate in there as well? No chocolate. No uh, chocolate. Something, oh, something okay. sweet, though. Something sweet and then something savoury again. Yeah, go on. I'll give you oh, okay. So, is it, did, was it, did it have ice cream in there? No, but that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did read somewhere that the calorific intake was enough for a whole country. That's oh, what I heard. And insane. So, yeah. I'll tell you what it was. It was a warm, uh, hollowed-out loaf, loaf with peanut butter, a jar of grape jelly, and a pound of bacon. Oh, there you go. Okay. That, that's, that's, uh, that's good for longevity. Yeah. That's it. He was definitely up in his Elvis. One of the early, <laughs> the early uh, starters with the sweet and salty vibe. So uh, now, <laughs> what martial art was Elvis good at? Judo, karate, or origami? Uh, <laughs> I think he was a judo boy, wasn't he? Oh. Karate, <laughs> origami. It was origami. So well, everything, no. everything. It was. Uh, it probably kar- was good at origami. Karate was his favourite, but uh, doing karate while doing origami was also something he took on in his later yeah, life. Now there is a skill. All right, here John, you go. Last one. one. Last last one, Chris. Uh, another song lyric for you. Fill in the blank here. You can do anything, but stay off of my <laughs> black forest gato. Oh. <laughs> You're getting into the swing of things, Chris. No, it's cream, <laughs> cream-coloured feature rug, which uh, he would be screaming at all his friends at the uh, the Memphis mansion. And then someone said, yeah. "Elvis, how about blue suede shoes?" And that was the start. And that's how it starts. Start the start. Look at that. And that was knowing your Elvis. <laughs> so, Chris. Just thinking about the Upping Your Elvis work, this idea of human, energetic, creative cultures, and thinking about uh, the kind of not-so-serious business podcast advice section of, of this podcast, can you give us a sense of what we can do as individual members of a team or solopreneurs, whatever place that we might work in, to bring our best Elvis to the table? 
Yeah, well, I think there's lots of facets to that. I mean, when we're helping companies with their energy, we think about physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And obviously, I think people are getting really good at the physical stuff now, aren't they? You know, so people understand we need good nutrition, great rest, sleep, exercise, all that good stuff. I think where it becomes a lot more challenging is more with the mental, emotional, and spiritual. And that's where, where things are more interesting. And a lot of our design is obviously quite counter to what we need in business. So we're not designed to focus, for example. You know, we, we've, we've only got between 90 and 120 minutes of deep focus per day. And most people I know waste it on, on other people's meetings and emails. So understanding how to use our limited focus on the stuff that counts is huge in us creating more meaningful impact. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a quick story to illustrate. So I was doing a conference over in Basel, and um, this, this guy came up to me and said, Chris, last time we worked together, you changed my life. And I was like, oh, this sounds exciting. Tell me a bit more. And basically, he, he'd heard the way I write my books. I write my books in really weird ways. I wake up very early. I'd finish by 9 a.m. I can't do anything else in it that day because that's my energetic sweet spot. So he realized that actually he had two things that he did. He does big drug development projects. And he, he used to mush up those two things all day. One was using his analytical brain and expertise. The other was uh, managing his teams around the world. And, and he, he'd do a little bit of both all the way through the day. Now, what he does is very different. He wakes up in the morning, he walks his dog. And the reason this is important is he gets super clear on what his big thing is for that day. So he gets absolute focus on the thing that will create most impact. He then makes that his priority, the first thing he does. He does that at home, which usually is using his great professor-like brain for some thinking. He then goes into the office and he manages his team for the rest of it. So he zones his day with absolute focus and clarity on what counts. His performance, he reckons, has gone up 500% as a result because he's using his design for his advantage rather than squandering it in a busy business environment so it's little things like that that if we have the discipline and the awareness can be game changing so it's, it brings in i guess some science and logic and data and all those things that organizations crave looking at something which could be considered a little bit more woo woo which even though we know it isn't yeah, yeah. yeah energy so i really like that sort of those mashups of different things now thinking around teams how would a team liberate the collective Elvis to work as one massive Elvis, like maybe you know, end of career Elvis when he's put on a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I think mean, that's the analogy we should be reaching for. But just, but just go the one big combined Elvis. Yeah, how do they liberate that vibe? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're doing a lot is it's going back to that experiment thing. You know, get together on a Monday morning, decide one thing that you're going to do together differently and experiment with it that week. Then on a Friday, get together and go, what did we learn? It's a very simple structure that basically guarantees that you're learning and you're talking about meaningful impacts in the context of your team. And you know what? The best teams are constantly demanding feedback from each other. I'm trying some new stuff. What worked? What didn't? What can I do better? Having those meaningful conversations mean they're constantly growing and, and getting that relational energy working. And if you're working, you know, a lot of the time remotely, you have to deliberately upweight that because it doesn't happen by accident so much. But those are the things that, that make the difference. And obviously, you know, let's share a bit more stuff on, about our lives. You know, work is a very small aspect of who we are. And so much of our time, we're so transactional. We never really connect with the people that we are working with. And yet, if we do so, we're going to have way more, well, way better improved collaboration. We're going to have much more energy, much more support when we need it. So investing more time and effort in that, I think, is important. 
And one thing that I'm a, a huge fan of is just getting people to just create more time and space. Back-to-back meetings are just stupid. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we do it is just nuts. If you've got a 9 to 10, you can't have a 10 to 11. We, we don't work that way. You've got to build that stuff in. And the only way you can do that is if the whole team do it together and they realize that actually you need this space if you're going to rest and recuperate and get your focus back. You know, we can only concentrate for 70 to 90 minutes at a time and then you need 20 minutes rest. And that's not doing emails or going to other meetings. That's resting. Yeah. And you can only support that type of cadence if the whole team do it. So those are simple things that you can do immediately this week that will have a huge impact. And then presumably, Chris, that naturally leads into then the role that leaders play in all of this in their organizations. Yeah. So what advice would there be for leaders then if they're trying to embed such a culture as you've described, where teams operate in this way and individuals bring their best to the business? Well, I, I think leaders have got a hard job, haven't they, right now? Because we're still going through a huge shift as to what a leader is. Their identity has shifted massively. I mean, this started back in the 60s, and it's still, but we're finding it hard to get people to really kind of take it on as part of who they are. But what you should be doing is thinking about how do I create the conditions for my people to be fabulous? You know, that's all you're doing. And therefore, you need to role model those behaviors where, you know, you, you don't have all the answers. You're, you're constantly experimenting, you're getting a few things wrong. You're having meaningful conversations about what what is difficult for you as well, so that others can do the same. And you know, knowing that one size does not fit all. Some people have energetic peaks at five a.m., some at nine p.m. We need to be able to put our arms around all of the differences, so that people can be the authentic self. So that you know, we're celebrating that, and you can only do that if you're being your authentic self. So actually, I think I think the new leadership agenda is very exciting, but for people who have an established way of doing things. It's quite frightening, and I understand that. So a lot of my work is about taking them by the hand and showing them actually the new way is a greater way. And actually, there's no risk, really. You know, it, we're not sweating assets anymore. You know, what we're doing is we're liberating people, and that's a fantastic thing to do. A rapid-fire round to finish us off Chris, what's one thing you couldn't do without in your life right at the moment? Oh, that guitar on the wall behind me. Can't live without it. <laughs> what one thing, Chris, in all your learning do you think should be included on our occupational philosopher's manigesto? Ooh. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to go. The hippies calling. Be kind. And you're not the first person to actually say that. So that's a lovely that's a lovely piece. Is there a book we should be reading outside of, obviously, your own collection of fabulous books? Well, so I read a lot of books, uh, as you can imagine, in, in, this, uh, in this job. But this, this, is a, this is a few years old now, but I still love it. Lost Connections by Johan Hari is, I think, the best book I've read in the last five years because it, it's just so good at explaining why we have this mental health crisis and it's not all about the chemistry of our brains. It's about the fact we're losing meaningful connections across seven, or you know, indeed nine, the way he puts it, different fa factors. And it's fantastically written. I really recommend it. Finally, Chris, just imagine now that you're in the twilight years of your, uh, your career. <laughs> you're being led to, into the retirement home. Uh, so it's a lovely <laughs> retirement home. Uh, and the nurses just gently guiding you into the lounge and all the residents are sat there and she says hey everybody meet chris he's how would you like to be introduced gone 
He's gone. <laughs> I'm never retiring. So, uh, I will be fighting my way out of there. I can guarantee. So it. you've run off. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's Chris. Where the fuck is he? All right. So where, where'd he go? Where'd exactly. Go? <laughs> and look, uh, what uh, outside of your retirement home, which you're never going to go to, what are you up to next? Well, I'm writing a new book, and I'm, I'm collaborating on that one. So that's exciting. We've got a load of fun, exciting things going on with with Talk It Out, where we're partnering with some really cool organisations. Uh, we're, we're a Microsoft startup partner. We've got some great, great weight behind us. So I'm really, really excited about that. Not just because of the impact we're creating, but I'm learning new stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've got no idea what that means, but um, <laughs> you know, that's the new title. So, so that's really, really exciting. And then we've got some fantastic. I mean, I'm, I've got loads of great speaking events around the world with really interesting audiences, which I really enjoy. So yeah, a bit of magic in the room, which would be great. Lovely. Where can we find you, Chris? Where can we connect with you, find you online, find you virtually, buy you drinks virtually or in real life? <laughs> so um, so you can find me under Upping Your Elvis uh, on a website. I'm also under Barris Brown for speaking and obviously Talk It Out. So I'm all out there and I'm all up for meeting people who have the same energetic vibe. So if any of this has resonated, I would love to you know, share chats and coffees with whoever is thinking that maybe together we can make this world spin yeah, better. And uh, last question, when are you going on tour with Thundercat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, the, the, like I said, I like it, his style. It sounds like, you know, the chat between the music is as good as the music, which is uh, which is pretty cool by me. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Now, look, I know we've uh, we've had a few little technical challenges today, so but uh, amongst all of that, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Your energy's uh, contagious even through the screen. Look, as always, I'm just like, I always think at the end, I think, holy shit, I'm so inspired. Like, I've got all, all this stuff to do, which is, you know, the joy of connecting with uh, new people as well. And, yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. John and Simon, hopefully we'll play in person one day. I very much hope so. Thanks so much, Chris. Lovely to spend some time with you. What a fabulous show, Simon. That was delightful to have Chris with us. He's got some great insights. I love all the stuff around energy and just how important that is and hitting one's energetic sweet spot. But more on that in a moment. What were your um, takeaways from today? Well, speaking of energy, Chris embodies that energy. You know what I mean? You can feel it. Well, I can feel it all the way from over here in Australia. And he's you know on the Dartford Moor. You can buy that through that you can feel it through the screen so kudos <laughs> it was to chris for <laughs> coming through our, our high quality super fast broadband optic fiber energy yeah. pulsing down it yeah i think so you're right. firstly chris he walks the walk and talks the talk as well so <laughs> i like oh there are so many good things but one of two or three different ones everyone has a gift and we hear this time and time mm. again because it's true so make sure whatever team you're part of, whoever you lead, wherever you are, acknowledge your gift and your gifts and acknowledge the gifts of the people in your team and let them shine. Don't beat them down with whatever process, system, boredom, rigidity. Let them, yeah. let them shine. Yeah. Also, I really liked uh, busy is easy. What a <laughs> isn't that like we go? Oh, so busy. What are you doing? I don't know, but I was, <laughs> God, I was busy. So I really like that, which makes us think. You know, be more. And he spoke about that. Be more aware of your energy and where your energy flows and different things. And just last simple one: talk it out. 
And I always say, you know, ideas don't belong in your head. And I think all thoughts don't belong. I mean, maybe some thoughts do. <laughs> but then, but get stuff out, talk it. And that's so much in that, just in the creating a conversation amongst your team, get the thoughts out of your head, share them with someone, be open, you know, journaling, sharing your thoughts, ideas. Yeah, so much good stuff, John. What about you? Well, for me, uh, one of the early ones he said was just how super curious he is, he is about people. And he said that the way to really engage with people is to slow down and connect, which sounds so obvious, but you can't be curious unless you slow down and talk and yeah. connect with someone or connect whether that's with people or with ideas. But yes, slow yeah. down and connect. That's what fuels curiosity and exploration. So that was that was useful. The whole thing around experimentation, and again, to your point about him walking the talk, uh, himself and his, his colleague, I think it's uh, Jim, the way they do those experiments, they really do embrace behavioral experiments. And that's a way yeah. for them to learn and move things in a different direction. And maybe I was thinking that that's what we mean when we say play. And we've talked about play before. We talked about having a playful attitude in work and people sometimes kind of have a slight twitch when you talk about play in work, yeah, sure. but maybe play is embodied through experimentation. So play means experiment more, go play, well, go experiment you think about what works. You think about when you're young or even now when you're playing, that is an experiment. You don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but you are, you're experimenting in play and play is experimentation. So yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love it. He catches the idea that obviously experimentation contains risk, of course, and, and yeah. that's one of the things that one has to tackle. But uh, but nonetheless, I like that. Yes. And then finally, comes back to energy again. And he was saying about how relational energy is the most important. And of course, I think instinctively kind of go, yeah, I, I get that. That it's the, the space in between people, particularly when you come yeah. to teams in organizations, that that's what uh, you need to pay attention to. Because without it, that without that good energy between people, uh, you can't create, you can't innovate as teams, you can't explore stuff in a safe way and get to tackle some gnarly problems and make some great decisions. So yeah, relational energy needs to be... Um, a prime focus as well. So there you go. I've got another list of 17 things, but we haven't <laughs> yeah. got time. <laughs> I felt we could do another show on his show. Like <laughs> always, always, always. Just unpacking it. Now, John, as always, if you've enjoyed today's show and you go, oh, yeah, that wasn't so bad, leave a review. I know, easy for us to say, very hard to do. However, it's really good for the show and helps people. Yeah learn a little bit more about us so experiment, experiment. with what's possible <laughs> leave a review tell your friends that if you're at work and you're thinking oh, i'll learn a little bit from that tell your other friends as well so and get them to tell their friends so in the meantime simon what do we say stay curious make stuff use your hands have fun play a whole lot more slash experiment and most importantly john when you step out the door today what do we do Date life. <laughs>